I'm joined this week by Linda Quarles, Director of Strategy and Organizational Design at Frog Design. Linda has spent decades leading organizational transformations at companies like Microsoft, Owens Corning, BAE Systems, and Cigna. She brings deep expertise in database behavioral science influenced by neuroscience and human-centered design. We're going to discuss the mistakes consultants often make about customer discovery, how to really uncover your client's underlying challenge, why some innovative initiatives fail, and what to recognize about convincing your client. You're going to learn a ton from Linda Quarles. Linda Quarles, welcome to the show. Hello, Ian. It's great to be with you. I am thrilled to have you here. And before we dive in to your amazing expertise, can you share with us something surprising about you that people may not know? Okay, people may not know that I have been, I would say, practicing improv comedy for several years as a way to learn more about how to be effective in business. Wow. So, so tell us more about that. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of principles in improv that are great metaphors for what I think business leaders are trying to do and be more of. So this um, concept that most people are familiar with is this idea of saying yes and, which is really about building on other people's ideas and um, <clears throat> not um, shutting things down. And so I think that's something that um, a lot of people want to learn how to be better at. And it's a really um, a metaphor for kind of creating something together. Together, which is what you're doing in improv, right? So you're creating a scene together. The other things that I love about it is um, you're really trying to make your scene partner or partners look good, right? So you're not trying to be the star of the scene. The scene is the star. And a lot of times in organizations, I don't know about some of your listeners, but sometimes I've been in a meeting and I'm like, hmm, are we here to like create something or solve something together? Or are we here to figure out who the smartest person is here? Exactly. Right. And so those are the meeting, right. Those are the meetings that you walk out and be like, well, that was a wasted time. Like pretty much we didn't solve anything. Everyone just trying to, you know, have the biggest punchline or the biggest rebuttal or the, you know, breaking down someone else's idea and kind of showing how smart they are. And, and those are kind of meetings that I'm sure nobody loves being in. And, um, there's just um, this idea of failing fast, which I know a lot of organizations are trying to become better at. They say, how do we be better at failing fast? Well, you know, there's no better way to fail fast than just, just put a, like a crazy idea out there when you're middle of a scene. And um, you're going to, whether you fail or succeed, you're going to have had that experience. And it's a really great metaphor because, you know, I work with a lot of companies and people will say things like, we want to get better at taking risks. We want better to get better at failing fast. And it's very abstract, Right. So I love to put people in a lab and just a quick improv, you know, uh, game where they have to actually just do that and just get used to that sensation almost of having a, an idea, putting it out there, testing it, seeing if it works. If it doesn't, you just move on. If it does, it's going to build and turn into something really remarkable. So um, I could go on and on about it. But I've found um, that it's incredibly powerful for me in um, getting close to some of those um, things that I'm um, trying to help organizations and leaders and teams um, be better at. And so I love it. I call it a workout because it's burns tons of calories and mostly in my brain. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, so it's, uh, it's great. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not really doing it to do it in front of an audience, although I, I do do that frequently and I like performing in front of an audience, but for me, it's just more like the actual, 
you know, building of my muscles and uh, being kind of a, a better teammate, a better collaborator, um, you know, a, a, a better creator of things through um, deep listening and through uh, just kind of like looking for the nugget of inspiration in any situation. The biggest insight that I ever got from doing improv was that the first time I did it, what I kept trying to do was anticipate what other people mm. were going to say. And yeah. it took me a while to learn that's the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is just be active listening and just respond in the moment to whatever is presented your way. And I think that a lot of people do that in business where they they they, they sit there in the room and someone says, here's my idea. And the person on the receiving end is anticipating or predicting what they're going to say instead of just keep an open mind to whatever might come out of their mouth. Exactly. Yep. And it's also that same thing of where instead of listening to the person, you're thinking about what you're going to say next or the question that you're going to ask next instead of really listening to what they're saying. And um, in improv, if you're not fully present, if you're really not listening and paying attention, whatever you say is going to be not make sense, right? It's not going to help to build and continue to create that scene. Yep. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, really, remember doing really good. A, I remember doing a word at a time story, which is this improv exercise that people do yeah. where you have, you can have people around a circle, you can have a hundred people and the facilitator just points to each person in sequence and you have to give the next word in a sentence. And so the yeah. natural inclination is you're three people out and you're thinking, I wonder what the next three people are going to say instead of you're going to find out, just sit tight. It's coming around to you. Yeah. And also you say something and it's really natural to you what the next word is going to be, right? It's like, you know, you're like, I pet A, and you're like, oh, they're going to say cat or dog, and then they <laughs> say something really weird, you know, like exactly. purse, and you're like, okay, well, where's this going, right? Exactly. So, it doesn't matter where it's going. That's the beauty of improv. <laughs> so so though we could have, and we may have to have you back to talk just about improv, oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. the thing I really want to talk to you about is business growth and kind of the trajectory that, that you've taken and the biggest mistake that organizations make and that leaders make when it comes to thinking about growth. Okay, so I think you and your listeners are going to really appreciate this, especially your longtime listeners, is they frame their problems in terms of themselves instead of their customers. So I've worked with many companies, and I'll say, well, what's your growth problem? And they'll say, the growth problem is we need to sell more X, or we need to increase our output of Y, and, you know, that's absolutely nothing to do with your customer. I mean, your customer doesn't care if you sell more of that. So um, I work a lot with um, leaders on framing what really the problem is. What is the problem you're trying to solve for? Not your problem, but the customer's problem. Yep. So I think that's a big uh, mistake. And then the other thing, especially in large organizations, I would say um, – a recent organization I work with, they had lots and lots of problems. We came and said, look, give us all your problems and we'll help you think through them. And they all fell into two major buckets. Number one was what I just described, problems mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with a customer. And then number two was problems that all have to do with internal things, like how do I get my leadership on board with this idea? How do I get this initiative off the ground? My problem is, you know, this is uh, an important and emerging trend and nobody sees it in my organization. So really things about internal buy-in and uh, belief building, which is a big part of um, what I do and just, you know, 
internal pro- internal things that are getting in the way from actually solving real customer problems. Um, in large organizations, that is a big piece of what um, I think uh, innovators in large organizations deal with. So, so Linda, what are, what are some of the symptoms that organizations can look to if they're having those sorts of problems? So, because I, I think one of the things is that we'll often see that they don't even realize that all they're bringing up is their own internal challenges. They don't realize that they're bringing up problems that aren't really anything to do with the customer and what the customer is actually facing. So what are some of the symptoms that an organization might be experiencing if they're having those underlying problems? Okay, so some of the symptoms are one is making assumptions of what customers need or want or desire or believe. I think, um, you know, in our business, and I'll talk a little bit more about Frog in a bit, is we do a lot of primary research, which is going into people's homes and into their cars and into their schools and into their places of work and really understanding what life is like. And even um, for those who the companies that are smart enough even to ask their salespeople, which I think are the ones that are frequently the closest to the customer, um, they don't, you know, they either, you know, get that information secondhand or even really great salespeople will also even make assumptions about what it is that customers, you know, want or what's important to them. But if you think about a large organization where you have sellers kind of at the tip of the spear, but all these other functions supporting um, getting your product out to market, the further and further away you get from the customer, the less deep understanding you have of them. So that's um, a symptom. And if I say, you know, when's the last time you've talked to a customer, right? So that's a great, when's the last time <laughs> you've actually been in a room with a cust- with an actual customer? Um, salespeople will say, yes, they have, but the majority of the organization hasn't. And even executives sometimes, you know, they'll say, when's the last time you've been in a room with a customer? <laughs> and and I, think, I think the more interesting thing you can even, if you take it one step further, is this idea of when was last time you had a conversation with a customer when you were not actively trying to sell them something. Yes. And then it's like, well, I don't think that's ever happened. Why would I do that? Well, now we're on to something because that's, that's when we really understand that, look, are you really taking the time to understand what's going on in your customer's world? Or are you telling us that, yes, I'm interested in, in my customer's world only as it pertains to me selling something? Exactly. Yep. And so what um, what we do, um, one of the things that our work is really grounded in at Frog is this idea of design research or ethnographic research. And as I mentioned, you know, we go to people's homes. And the reason that companies hire us to do this is not because, seriously, it, it is not rocket science. It is not difficult to do. But it's so hard for a salesperson or a marketing person or a product person to sit in a room with a customer and just ask questions. And just listen, even if it's simple as something like, um, what would you like to change about your experience with our product? And a customer says something like, well, you know, I really wish the packaging was perforated. I don't know. I'm just making this up, right? And myself as a researcher will say, oh, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. You know, what would that look like? You know, how would that help you versus a person who actually designed that product and be like, no, 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 it is perforated. I have to explain to you. Do you, do you not see it? <laughs> let, me, let me just show you how it works. Right. So that, so that's 
So the activity of saying, oh, yeah, tell me more about the per- – that's not hard, but just kind of suspending your own knowledge and intimacy of this thing that you built, that you care about, that you – you know, know so much about is really challenging for people. Yeah, I think I think it's a huge challenge for organizations because if, for example, I mean, there's a few things that happen. If you ask if you ask a salesperson, so when you ask the client what they what they would hope to see differently in a relationship with your a company, the salesperson says, "Oh, yeah, and they said everything was great." Well, of course they said that because what are they going to say? Well, actually, we love your company, but we don't like you. That's never going to come out <laughs> if you're the one asking the question, but. With someone else, they might, and it's that whole notion, as soon as you get defensive, then your client shuts down and says, oh, this isn't a place for free idea exchange. But if you say to them, well, tell me more about it, it's it's kind of like if I'm an airline, and let's face it, airlines are an easy target for all consumers. And as someone who flies a ton, um, I have strong opinions about airlines. And so if someone if someone said to the airline, oh, well, I think that you have awful service at this level, the airline executive is likely to say, do you realize all the different things we've been doing instead of, instead of <laughs> yep. just sit back and say, well, what do you mean? What works? What doesn't exactly. work? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And it's so fun to see um, if you – I really like this TV show, The Profit. Have you seen this show with this I guy have. named Marcos yep. Limonis? And he and he has these companies go out and do primary field research, right? They go talk to their customers, and instead of listening to them, they tell them how they're wrong. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think there's a dysfunctional element to their um, casting as well that says, you know what? If we had somebody balanced, it isn't good TV. So we have to get yeah. somebody who's totally narcissistic now. Put them on camera. This is going to be a fun show. You know, I think it's partly true, but I also feel like, you know, it's like your baby, right? So even people that aren't inherently narcissistic, it's something that, you know, they've cared for and they've nurtured and they believe in it so much that when you hear someone coming close to either, you know, insulting or questioning its value, it's you have this defense mechanism that comes up, right? So even um, people are well-intentioned, it's very difficult to suspend that, I think. If you hate wondering if your client or prospect ever opened your email, then check out today's sponsor, MailTag.io, a Chrome browser extension for Gmail that allows you to track and schedule emails. You get real-time alerts as soon as they open your email or click a link. Try it for free for 14 days without giving your credit card. I asked them for a special offer for you, and boy, did they deliver. Just use the promo code Ian, and you can save 50% off your MailTag subscription for life. For more info, check out mailtag.io, and the link will also be in the show notes. It's it's interesting. One of one of the questions that I with 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 the clients that I work with, if we're trying to understand the value of what they offer to a client, one of the questions we'll ask their clients is, "So, what would your life be like if you didn't have this tool?" And and the funny part is that the whoever you know if it's let's say a software company they'll say oh well you know if they didn't have our software they couldn't function and I'm like so you're telling me that if, if your product didn't exist they would just fold up and close They'd up their go business, out of business. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so so it's like what if you didn't have it well we'd use these two tools together or well we'd have to do it manually it would take us an extra five hours a week and there'd be some errors but we could deal with it but to the vendor it's like no. Their life would be over, and the reality is, rarely are you in a situation where that's the case. 
So, so let me let me ask you what what brought you to Frog Design because you've worked with some of the most recognizable brands on the planet and some some huge businesses that are household names and Frog Design um, is not necessarily a company that everybody on the planet knows about. Yeah. So so the thing about Frog is um, you may not have heard of us, but we have been behind most of those brands. We work with, you know, almost every company in the Fortune 500. And what Frog's legacy is built upon is um, industrial design, working with um, companies to deliver things like um, the Apple Macintosh and working with companies like Disney to deliver new um, customer experiences. Um, and what has happened over the years, starting from our legacy, building um, <clears throat> really digital experiences and physical products, is that we have found that when you are doing something that is, um, as we typically do, pretty innovative or pretty disruptive, there can be this um, kind of organizational organ donor rejection, okay. I call it, for lack of a better word, where you're kind of trying to put something really a new and different way um, of servicing a customer or a totally different um, product experience, customer experience um, into an organization that is set up to do something very different. And so um, I'll say, you know, a lot of the um, clients that we work with are individuals within these large companies that either either um, been appointed or self-appointed to drive something really innovative or disruptive or new in the market, right? So a lot of people say, oh, you know, you, you go figure out, you know, what's next for our company. And so they'll go and they'll hire Frog to say, hey, help me think about what's next. You know, what, what are we going to be doing in five years from now when our current business is dried up or our current customer has, you know, change their preferences, what is the world going to look like and what are we going to deliver? And we'll go through a process, very, you know, customer research based where we'll come up with really provocative ideas um, that have to do with, you know, kind of evolving um, customer needs and um, desires. And they'll come back to the organization and the organization will say, yeah, you know, we're, we're not, we're, that's that's too hard for us to do, right? Either we don't have the capability to do it or you're kind of challenging our entire um, pricing model or um, you're cannibalizing an existing product that we already have in the market, you know, that's working well today. And so um, my coming to Frog was, um, and that doesn't always happen, but it's happened enough that Frog has said, well, gosh, is there something more that we can be doing other than designing these amazing products and, and experiences and technologies um, to make sure that the organizations for whom we're designing them are ready to bring them to market. So is, is this this whole idea behind what's called design thinking? So design thinking is actually the process to which you kind of uh, come up with these concepts and ideas. I'm bringing into this idea on top of design thinking, this org activation, which is um, not just what is the design, but what is the organization that needs to bring it to life. So marrying those two things together and saying, hey, you have a great and amazing organization that is really good at what you do today, right? So if you're going to try to do something different tomorrow, you're also going to be a different organization tomorrow. So that's something that that's something that in, in concept people are going to say, yeah, it all sounds good, Linda, but I'm not convinced, so, so how, how do you cross that chasm with them so that they're convinced that, yeah, it's worth it for us to take this risk. It's worth it for us to get in a place that's a little bit uncomfortable 
and we're going to be better off because of it. Okay, so I'm I'm glad you asked me that question, Ian, because I've been in this business for a while and it's around, you know, change and transformation. And I've come to realize that I've never convinced anyone of anything in my life. I'm out of the convincing business, which is what I thought I was in for a long time. I thought I was in the convincing business. Um, And the reason I say that is, um, and and by convincing, I mean, of something that someone really believes deep in their heart, right? It's not something you know, novel. But if you really believe something in your heart, I don't think people are convinced by, um, you know, someone like me coming and telling them because I, I, I'm really into entomology. So the word convince is a Latin word root con, which, you know, means with yep. and vincere is victory. So if you've convinced someone you've won and they've lost, you're the victor and they're the victim and nobody wants that. Like, or, 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 you've been, or you've been conned by a guy named Vince. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of trying to convince people, um, I think about the design process, which is where you design experiences, right? Let people have an experience where um, they can build their own belief, so this is um, very, uh, you know, kind of similar to what we've been talking to in terms of uh, you do a lot of work on storytelling, right? So storytelling is not so much about convincing people, but it's actually putting them in a state where they're experiencing something different. They're seeing something through the lens of a either a, a metaphor. They're placing themselves in a situation where they can emotionally feel something. Right. So um, I think the only way that people actually get convinced is not through data and charts and PowerPoint decks, but through emotion. You know what? I I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, one of the things that I often get asked is, so how do you create urgency for a client? And I say, you can't. Mm. You can help someone become aware that something might be urgent for them, but you can't create a sense of urgency for anybody. And in fact, I'm a firm believer that what this all comes down to is if if you understand what your client is trying to achieve and what they're trying to get to, then you can ask great questions so that they, in essence, sell themselves or, or they're convincing you. Yeah. You know, Linda, this is really important. We have to do this because it's essential to the yeah. future of our brand. Oh, okay. I, I tend to agree with you. That's great. I'm glad you reached that conclusion. But it, people often think that, well, if I just – if I had one more bullet on my PowerPoint slide, that would have done it for him. And it's never the case. I have a client of mine who has a presentation coming up for one of their um, their customers, and they had all these slides with, with text and bullets. And I said, what do you believe the client has to believe in order for them to feel like you're the right vendor for them? They said, what? What does the client have to believe – in order for them to decide that you're the best choice for them. Well, there's really two or three things when it came down to it. Great. So if yep. everything you're doing isn't helping them reach that conclusion on their own, then you have wasted slides, wasted content. And it just changed everything. And it's funny because they're actually meeting with them today and I'm dying to know what the outcome is because I know that this client is taking a 180-degree approach to what all their competitors will be taking. 
and um, and hopefully they're not going to it's not going to you know crash and burn. <laughs> well, here here's the other thing I think that is really important for um, you know people both on the sales and the delivery side to realize is that you cannot outsource belief. Okay, so what I mean by that is sometimes in our here in my studio, our designers are so in love with what they are designing and building and the client's not in love. They are more in love with it than the client is. And so I said, you know, there's a lot of things that you can outsource to a company, but you cannot outsource belief, right? So what is it going to take for them to believe in that thing and to be so invested in it and care about it so much that it, it doesn't really, you know, what we deliver is not, is not as important as their ability to believe in it. And so I think this is very connected to the story that you were just telling is, you know, if I'm trying to, you know, show them how much I believe in it versus getting them to adopt that belief. And it's different for everybody, right? So what's going to resonate and what's going to cause that emotional connection is different for every buyer. And so how do you tap into that and say, you know, what is it that, you know, you fear that you aspire to or, you know, you know, that you want to be known for in the organization? You know, we always say for our clients, I always say, I want my clients to be a hero in the organization. We are not the hero. Right? You know what? I'm, They're the hero. I'm, I'm, right? so, I'm so glad you said that because one of the things that Jack and I write about is this notion that, look, if if you write a case study and the case study talks about how great you are as a vendor, you've missed the whole point. The hero in any in any case study should be the client who was so smart to execute and implement these ideas. Even even with same side selling, people will say, "Oh, this has been this has been incredibly valuable for our organization." I always say, "Well, we're really flattered by that, but I can give you the names of all these people who have read it and not implemented any of it." So, what 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 matters <laughs> yeah. is you were the people who actually took the risk and expended the effort to implement it. The other, the other, the other piece of information I'll give with you to share with your colleague on the um, on the side of you know any of your colleagues who are more passionate or more in love with their concept than the client is, yeah. is I often say, look, if you are more passionate about the solution than the customer is, then when you show up to the meeting, bring your wallet because you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. They won't. Great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Who's the one that's writing the check here? You know, they're the person that has to say, I, I need it. I want it. How fast can I get it? Exactly. Right? And I, I often try to use a medical metaphor that says, look, if, if someone knocked on your door and said, hey, I have this procedure to sell you, you would never open the door. But if, if, you, if it became known that you had a dangerous, life-threatening condition and someone said, Look, I've I've treated this condition with amazing success for for other people. I don't yet know if you have the exact same condition or if the treatment would apply yet. But if you're concerned about it, I'm happy to talk about what you have going on to see if we might be able to help. That person's going to you know jump over a bridge to come see you because wow, this is someone who might be able to help me, and they have the humility to say that maybe they can't help everybody. And I think that there's a there's a big void in the world because most people are taught that you have to come in and tell somebody, oh, yes, I definitely have the best solution for you. But none of us really knows until we have a conversation with the client anyhow. Exactly. Yeah. 
Completely agree with that. And I think, you know, <clears throat> the other thing that um, I think about is, you know, when you're buying something, especially if you're buying a service, right, there's um, basically three different types of what I would call like a server, a server provider, maybe a consultant or a vendor. Yep. And um, one of them is um, – we call, we call the expert, right? So they know everything that you don't. They're going to tell you exactly what to do. And then you have the what I call the pair of hands, which are the people who are going to do it for you, right? They're, these are kind of more the outsourced, you know, someone, you know, I just need someone to perform this task or. So the first one's the expert. The second one's the pair of hands. Yep, a pair of hands. Okay. And then the third one is what I call um, a process consultant, right? So a process consultant is someone who's an expert, not in maybe your industry or field or your business, but an expert in a process and is going to, along with you, go through that process to find out what the answer is, right? What the solution is that makes the most sense for your business today and in the future for the type of organization that you are and the appetite that you have. And so, you know, for, for you know, as with Frog as an example, we're experts in the design process. We work with companies of all different kinds of industries, um, you know, financial services, healthcare, automotive, consumer products. We are not an expert in any of those things. Um, so if you say, hey, you know, we really want to if someone comes to us and says, we really want an expert in um, our industry, we'll say, well, we're not that. But what we are experts in is understanding customers' needs and behaviors and going through a process that's going to help you uncover those um you know, kind of those nascent uh, motivations. We get really deep into customer motivations. And so um, just be, I would say, you know, a lot of people are unclear about what they're really buying here. You know, are they buying someone who's an expert who's going to tell them exactly what to do and give them a recipe and give them all the, you know, research to support it where you haven't, like I said, built that belief along with them? Are you hiring someone to do something um, transactional for you, which is really important and valuable, but which for which you don't need to, um, you know, there's not a lot of ambiguity involved? Or are you really kind of unsure about the path from A to B? And are you buying a, a relationship with someone who's going to be with you where you can feel safe and navigating that ambiguity in that space? And so um, that's kind of um, what I think about a lot in terms of, you know, how, you know, what type of consulting service or what type of, you know, I don't know, you know, marketing vendor service or uh, that you're buying. Well, and, and I, my guess is that the, so the expert category that you provide is almost more of a topical expert or maybe a a product expert or you know they've got some an industry niche because my guess is exactly. the the process consultant is somebody who is a subject matter expert but it probably goes well beyond an expert in the product or the industry and more they're an expert in understanding how to solve this type of problem Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, but I think, you know, even management consultants can be, you know, really kind of fall in that expert category because um, they may try to tell you that, you know, they really know the answer to everything, right? <laughs> Some yeah. of them do that. And so, and so, you know, one of the first things I'll say is, you know, to a client, I'll say, you know, I am never going to know your business better than you. I cannot profess to know your business better than you. Um, and that, I would be lying if I did. You know, I, I would say, don't trust anyone who comes in here and says, I know your business well enough to tell you exactly what to do. Um, what I do know is um, how to tap into um, kind of those 
kind of hu- human behaviors. We use a lot of, um, you know, behavioral science and a lot of neuroscience and um, to understand what human behavior is from a customer perspective. That's what I know. And um, I can connect it to whatever it is that you're trying to achieve in your business. You know, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's funny. I think of it as it's a lot of what I do in my world, which is I, I speak to – I delivered you know, a bunch of keynote addresses every year, probably 40 to 50 keynote addresses a year. And in each case for the audience, I, I'll be speaking soon to the, the spray foam contractors of America or mm, some mm-hmm. variation on that. So I'm not an expert on spray foam, but I understand what they need to do to be able to sell value versus price and to help their their clients make better informed decisions selling something that is a disruptive um, new technology into a space where someone's been at forever. So I'll never know about all of the elements of the R values of spray foam. <laughs> And and how that impacts you know a myriad of topics, but but I know how to position it, and that it may be similar to what you're talking about here. Yeah, and you're not going to tell them what should what should the price be, right? You're not going to tell them you know what should the delivery schedule be. You'll say these are the questions that you need to ask. Well, now I may now I may tell them just to throw a wrench in the whole thing, but but I would have it would be not based on anything knowledge or factual based. It would just be for fun, so I could come back and tell you, oh yeah, and I told them here's what the price was, even though I had no <laughs> idea what it should be. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that would be and it's it. amazing. Yeah. yeah, and I actually think sometimes um, that can, at least for me, can create a little bit of healthy tension in my relationship with my clients. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes I'll say, "Hey, can you give us a e- the easy button or the p- pill? Yeah, you know, the magic work. bullet and the pill to solve this problem." And part of my responsibility is to say, "Well, you know, so, you know, I'm sorry, but it's not that easy." You know, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if it uh, was? It sure would. Yeah. yeah. So, Linda, what's the best way for people to, to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so um, our website is frogdesign.com. You can um, follow me in um, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm Linda Quarles. Yep. I'm Linda E. Quarles on Twitter, and uh, that's where you can find me. Yep, and we'll include all that in the show notes. So this way um, people don't have to scramble with it, but we'll just have links to all those in the show notes. So, um Thanks so much for really getting us thinking in a different way. I, I love these concepts that you share, and um, and you know we we always say that that you are Jack's better half, and now we know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know is is how is the bar set high or low there? <laughs> the bar is set very high with Jack, and you've just exceeded it. So that that tells oh. us something right there. Well, thanks for saying that. <laughs> All right, Linda, thanks again for joining me. It's been funny, Anna. All right, take care. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply right away. First, don't frame your customer's problem as your goal. Strive instead to get to their issues. Avoid that organ donor rejection syndrome of solutions in search of a problem. I love how Linda says, you'll never convince anyone of anything that they don't want or need. And you can never outsource belief. And finally... Think about which type of the three vendors are you. Are you an expert? Are you a pair of hands? Are you a process consultant? I think in most cases, what our clients want is a process consultant who has expertise in their area. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should address, if there's a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. 
Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can